0: Thank you for tuning in for another Business Conversations podcast, brought to you by the UNT G. Grant Bryant College of Business. Today, we have with us Dr. Jose Linares, Clinical Assistant Professor in the College's Department of Accounting. Dr. Linares teaches information systems and auditing, and his research interests are in distributed ledger technologies, including things like blockchain and smart contracts, as well as the study of accounting transfer student efficacy. Teaching information system for the last 10 years, Dr. Linares' previous industry experience was as an IT audit team lead over information systems in data centers and field locations. He holds a PhD in higher education from UNT, a master's in telecommunications from the University of Dallas, a bachelor's in accounting from the University of Texas at Arlington, and several other certifications. He is a certified public accountant, certified information systems auditor, Certified Fraud Examiner, Certified Internal Auditor, and he is also Certified in Risk and Information Systems Control and is a Microsoft Certified Technology Specialist. We are thrilled to have him here today to discuss a topic that is fresh on everyone's minds, cybersecurity. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Dr. Linares. We're very excited to have you here talking about cybersecurity. It's such a pressing issue right now. Um, So, just to jump right into it, what do you think some of the biggest cybersecurity threats that COVID-19 has brought forward right
1: now? Well, I think, uh, and thank you, Blair, for having me on. Uh, I think this is an important topic now, and I know with our IT audit class we teach in the fall, we cover uh, cybersecurity kind of at an enterprise level, and it's interesting uh, that we also touch home security. I just didn't realize how relevant this would become uh, relatively quickly. But one of the things that COVID-19 has exposed is, uh, and, and, and this is not pointing fingers at any, any one organization or any set of organizations, but uh, a lack of a centralized, cogent plan for having uh, essentially everyone working from home. This is something that, that nobody really, you know, this, this was always the, the thing that was five years out. And all of a sudden it became something that was five minutes out. And uh, that lack of a cogent centralized plan is something that obviously has been revealed uh, by, by this pandemic. Um, another thing is a lack of secure software and hardware in people's homes. Uh, you know, uh, again, since this was always something that was gonna happen later, uh, I think that, that the individuals uh, working in IT uh, and, and users really didn't contemplate that much that uh, overnight, literally, they'd be using software and hardware uh, that was essentially running on people's machines at home and and how secure that was basically in a perfect world when we switched from uh face to face to digital we would have been able to score everyone on how secure their software and hardware is at home and that's that's something that's uh, an ongoing crisis the last thing i'd mention is just training uh employee training we of course in hindsight everything is 2020, and uh in hindsight, I would out everything is also 50/50 in that you're not sure, uh, you know, what you would have done different. But uh, one of the things that obviously has been pointed out for all organizations is that, in kind of a emergency manner, uh, or planning for an emergency like this, we should have had employee training regarding the securing of home networks.
0: Absolutely. So, with all that being said, who do you think is most at risk for a cybersecurity threat? And this doesn't have to be necessarily company related. Um, it can also be on an individual basis.
1: Well, organizationally, I would say that any company that traditionally has been very strong face-to-face uh, and has had a very small or no work-at-home uh, footprint is particularly vulnerable. Uh, I mean keep in mind that uh, the majority of the economy is not, uh, you know, large companies, 3M, DuPont, and ExxonMobil. The majority of the economy is small and medium-sized businesses. And many of those businesses, uh, you know, have, have been hit particularly hard because they just didn't, they never really anticipated having a work from home presence. That can be extended into other familiar uh, businesses like restaurants, you know, small mom and pop pizza places, the Italian places, the Indian places, the uh, uh, you know, Tex-Mex places that we uh, frequent and love. A lot of them were not ready uh, for, you know, this type of uh, Present. So, for example, taking uh, remote payments, uh, processing payments with DoorDash, uh, processing payments uh, digitally, and, and again, this is not something that was a, a well thought out, uh, planned uh, from a cybersecurity uh, perspective. Uh, individually, uh, users who are not used to being in online environments uh, and doing things, predominantly digitally, uh, are, are at risk. Uh, you know, we're, we're starting to see, I was talking to a, a colleague of mine who's a chief information security officer this week. And she says, we're seeing an enormous, uh, spike in, uh, uh, emails that, that say things like, uh, you know, zoom bombing security patch released click here, you know, uh, and they, and they even are able to, uh, disguise spoof where it's coming from. And it looks like it's coming from zoom. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Individuals that are being—it's uh, uh, a phishing attack. It's a P-H-I-S-H attack. In that uh, they're getting emails and even texts that say, "Hey, click here and donate five dollars to nurses in New York or nurses in New Orleans." In New Orleans, you're seeing some of that. And so, any individual that's not used to being in an environment like that, where uh, uh, you know they're being you know, provoked or or being asked or having to uh, interact digitally when before they were not. Uh, Are particularly vulnerable. Lastly, I would say that individuals who have been, uh, and this is kind of a small subset, at least in in our area, in the Dallas Fort Worth area so far, uh, thank God, but anyone that's been touched by the pandemic directly, uh, one of the things that uh, cybersecurity experts are noting is, of course, a lot of these people are are, are going through a form of mourning on social media, in that they're posting uh, that their loved one is sick, that their loved one has died, that their loved one is a lot of concern, and they post this on social media. And of course, scammers, hackers, uh, can prey on that uh, to direct their attacks to these individuals' email accounts, to the social uh, media sites, and, and, and try to basically scam them because of the fact that they're in mourning and, you know, hey, you know, uh, click here and help 50 families with a meal or with whatever, you're seeing it with fake drugs. Anyone, again, that individually, that, that's either in a mourning phase or is depressed, uh, is more susceptible to attacks of this nature through the internet.
0: That's something I had not even thought of. I know I've received emails myself that have been really big phishing attempts and it's, it's kind of crazy how they're taking advantage of this during this time. Um, but you did mention a really hot button topic there in your talking points. You said something about Zoom bombing. Um, do you wanna talk a little bit more about Zoom bombing and maybe what that is and how people can avoid it?
1: Of course, yeah. This has uh, been topic one for a lot of us professors. Uh, the first of all, I feel like I need to start off by saying that Zoom, Zoom prior to COVID, uh, Zoom was a relatively you know small company, small mindshare. Uh, its 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 primary uh, pluses, the reasons that it was adopted or used by a lot of companies slash people prior uh, to the COVID nineteen crisis is that it was easy to use, so it's very user friendly, uh, and that it was free. <laughs> and being free, of course, that directed a lot of traffic to them. Uh, now, of course, COVID-19 hit, and overnight, everyone uh, literally had to start working from home unless you know, they were a, a frontline worker. And, uh, and then Zoom was not architected. It was not architected to handle this load, and it was not architected to have this much attention. Uh, uh, that being said, I know last Tuesday, uh, they did put out a patch and that patch uh, at least addresses some of these concerns uh, This would be on the 14th April the 14th of 2020 uh, So they're, they're they're trying. I mean, they're trying to uh, bulk up their defenses against zoom bombing uh, but, but you know again it, people need to realize this is this was a relatively small company. This this was not a company in large scale there are uh, video conferencing uh, systems that are more secure like uh, Cisco Webex and go to training or go to meetings Same company. Uh, but for right now, like I said, a lot of people are using Zoom. Uh, one of the things that I always tell people is that you know the weakest link in any cybersecurity chain is people. So if you create a Zoom uh, meeting and uh, individuals, participants share details around that, that meeting, they share the link, they share the password. If they have insider information like this and they share it, a lot of these defenses that I'm going to tell you start to break down. Uh, That being said, again, as I tell my students in IT audit, it's not about preventing every single attack every single time from every single direction. It's about creating defense in depth. It's about creating layers of defense that take so much time to get through and to defeat that the attacker just says, you know what, I'm just going to move on to the next person that doesn't have these safeguards that uh, that I'm going to detail. The first one I'd say is use a password. Use password for all all meetings. Uh, That definitely deters an attack called war dialing. Uh, War dialing basically means I'll take the HTTPS forward slash Zoom. I I know what the beginning of your link is. All I have to do is have a, a computer go through some random meeting ID numbers. And eventually I'll trip on one and I can Zoom bomb that one. That, you know, that's... That's something that's pretty easy to do and it doesn't require uh, somebody, you know, revealing what the ID for the Zoom link is. Uh, Another one is to mute all participant video and mics upon entry. I know I was working with Professor Bandla on this and she kind of, uh, uh, she did this as a practice and I adopted her best practice of muting all participant video and mics uh, upon entry. Uh, Disabling, this is a really important one and one that's not getting a lot of attention. That's disabling personal meeting IDs. Zoom calls it a PMI. Uh, Don't, don't, like, the idea behind a PMI, a personal meeting ID, is that, like, for example, if you and I, Blair, wanted to meet really quick, if I need, if I had your PMI, we could just quickly connect and not go through a whole lot of steps. And if you knew my PMI, uh, you know, you could rapidly connect with me. This can be exploited by hackers because if you uh, are using, if you set up a meeting and the meeting is connected to your PMI, then someone who knows your PMI can crash your meeting without knowing the formal link that you gave uh, to students or employees. Uh, and so PMI, I, I've, I, I know my settings uh, under, in the case of UNT, it's zoom.us. Excuse me, UNT.zoom.us. Under settings, I have all that turned off related to PMI uh, block slash Prevent any screen or file sharing. Some of the Zoom bombing incidents that have happened, uh, the attackers have shared their screen because it was open, and you know shared uh, you know inappropriate material, and file sharing too. Even if you have screen sharing turned off, if file sharing is not turned off, they could potentially share a JPG or a PNG uh, file, you know, an inappropriate uh, a video file. Uh, only. Unmute participants if they raise their hand. So for example, you can have uh, uh, participants that are completely muted, and then only if they raise their hand uh, do you allow them to unmute their mic, the theory being you can kind of you know, see who they are. Uh, you can uh, lock the meeting down after it begins. I know one of the nice things about the latest patch that, uh, uh, that Zoom put out is it allows you, there's a security icon, and the security icon, uh, when you click it, you can uh, lock the meeting down just quicker, quicker, as opposed to having to go through a whole bunch of steps. Uh, So I mean, locking the meeting down, of course, kind of shuts the door behind you. It also forces the attacker to not only, uh, you know, obtain information about your Zoom link, but now they also have to have the timing down. Now they have to uh, arrive in that window in which uh, your individuals, uh, you know, enter the meeting. Uh, The last one I'll mention, which is, you know, at some point, uh, if, if you have too much security, uh, the ultimate security is to not run the app. And so, I mean, there's always a point of of diminishing return. But uh, if you, if it's practical, you can also use the waiting room. The, the waiting room, uh, you know, if you have uh, five or six members on the Zoom meeting, it's not that big a deal. If you have uh, 105, just know that if you enable the waiting room, you're going to have to check in every single person one by one by one. Uh, consider generating, again, this is not very popular, but consider generating a new, fresh Zoom link every time. In other words, not using uh, a recurring meeting. That, that uh, you know, can also have an effect. And another thing you can do, which again, it's up to the individual as to whether they wanna go this extreme, is you can force registration. And what that does is when the individual comes in, not only assuming you're using passwords, not only do they need the password, but they also have to register with their Zoom credentials. Again, it's not, this is not fail safe. None of these individually or collectively prevent every scenario. What you're trying to create is uh, what's called in cybersecurity diversion, and that's that you divert them to another uh, individual and just leave you alone.
0: Those are some great tips. I actually didn't realize a lot of those features that you could enable them. So I will definitely be looking into that the next time I schedule my Zoom call. Thank you very much. Oh, cool. So say you were to write a policy for our IT team um, to sort of Prevents any um, attacks from happening. What type of attacks would you say that remote workers should be made aware of and trained to recognize?
1: Well, the the, the, the number one always is a phishing attack, a phish attack. Uh, this is uh, will be deployed via email, and uh, we're seeing increasingly where it's being deployed also uh, via like text on phones. And, uh, and, and, yeah, again, the training that don't click, don't click on things, don't click on email links, uh, don't, don't click on stuff that's, that's sketchy uh, via text. I'll, I'll tell you one that a lot of people aren't thinking about because they don't tend to think, uh, uh, when they're thinking of cybersecurity, they're not thinking of this. And that is phone calls. You can get a phone call from IT saying, hey, I show that you have an outstanding call to us regarding something related to security. Uh, how can I help you? And this individual has nothing to do with your i t department uh, if I was in a, a counseling and i t department too is obviously no public wi fi ever <laughs> don't allow any of your users uh block any attempts to get into the network through public wifi uh you know the the standard stuff complex passwords uh I, one that a lot of people are discovering through this uh crisis is keeping business and private devices separate you know it's it's a good practice to have uh, for example, a business uh, laptop—one that you use just for your business dealings—and have uh, others for other things. You know, don't n- not cro- not mixing together the two. Uh, another one that people don't tend to think about is trash. Watch your trash. Uh, Printers—you uh, know—you can you can print something and it can have sensitive information, and you throw it in the trash, uh, and it can you know can it can create a lot of problems. And and a lot of the too, is just IT departments teaching and training individuals that the internet by default is an open platform. The internet by default is designed to be a trusted open platform. So anything you, any action you don't take to tighten security creates vulnerabilities.
0: Absolutely. So a lot of people are using VPNs or virtual desktop environments. Sometimes they're using a personal computer, sometimes they're using um, their company computer. But would you say they're pretty secure to use a VPN or virtual desktop? is one more secure or one more protected than the other?
1: Well, uh, VPN is a way of protecting data and uh, virtual desktop is basically uh, tied to usually the software called the VM- VMware. Uh, VMware allows you to use your device to connect to a server at your employer's uh, computer room. So for example, you, know, you have a computer and they have a server, and once you use your device to connect via VMware to that server, you are constricted to the things that that server has access to. So usually that server will have a, a shared drive. Uh, since it's centrally managed, it'll be patched. It'll be security updated. And so obviously that's more secure than you computing privately. Uh, and, and if you're, if you're using uh, VMware, you know, VPN, on top of VMware is even more secure. So VPN, uh, the way it works is uh, the way it works is normally you encrypt packets. In other words, you make uh, plain text packets uh, undecipherable by encrypting them. And what VPN does is it encrypts the encryption. So it's kind of like, a, if I can get a little overly academic here, it's like a matryoshka doll, the Russian dolls, where you have a small one and another one over that one and another one over that one. What you create is layers of encryption that make it very, very difficult, if not impossible, uh, for individuals to, uh, to, to, to steal the information. So you create a tunnel. And that tunnel can be used, for example, to engage in virtual desktop uh, it can, you know, using VMware. It can be used also for remote desktop. Uh, remote desktop also can be run through a VPN. I think the theme that I'm repeating over and over again, uh, perhaps successfully or unsuccessfully, is. Uh, VPN. I think I think one of the things that's going to come out of this crisis is companies requiring, literally almost you know overnight, that we're going to rethink how everybody connects to the business network. And what we're going to do is reject all connections to the business network that are not through VPN. Uh, I'll add another little nerd thing here that uh, you want uh, end-to-end encryption. You don't want link encryption. Link encryption means that from one server to another server to another server, it encrypts and decrypts, encrypts and decrypts, encrypts and decrypts, end to end. Obviously, encrypts and decrypts uh, at the ends, and that's exactly what you want.
0: Very good points. Yeah, it will be very interesting to see what comes out of this and what sort of practices are really implemented by IT teams across the across the world, essentially. Um, so, on the same note of encryption and keeping things secure. Obviously, a good password, and you mentioned this before, having a good password is important. So what would you kind of say is the best type of password someone should create to help remain as secure as possible? <laughs>
1: That's a, it's funny uh, because you're, you're going to laugh at my answer. It's abandoned passwords. Don't use passwords. Uh, abandon all passwords and use passphrases. One of the strange, strange things about human communication is that you can utter a sentence, you know, a passphrase that has never existed ever in the history of mankind. So I would ask you, Blair, do you think this passphrase has ever existed in the history of mankind? Uh, A frog named George fell off a cloud and hit a taco, comma, wow.
0: I cannot say that would have been used before.
1: That that makes it almost virtually uh, undecipherable. Very difficult to guess that. Now now think of uh, how easy it would be to crack a password that's like uh, Gosh, you know, if I was going to start attacking this area, how about Cowboys number one, Longhorns, Meanie? What is it? Yeah, uh, mean. I'm just green. covered half
0: of Texas right there.
1: Yeah, I think I think Mean Greens, Longhorns, Aggies, a couple of more colleges, and Cowboys and Oilers. Well, I guess not Oilers anymore. Texans would uh, would not got half the passwords in Texas, uh, but but yeah, I, abandon passwords and go to pass phrases and have them be at least sixteen characters long.
0: All right, very good to know. I think that's a great tip. I haven't thought about that. Past phrases, but I like that.
1: Yeah, you gotta take gotta take my IT audit class.
0: Now I know, I do. I'm learning <laughs> so much right now. <laughs> so I we've kind of covered a lot of this, but what are some of the best practices you would say overall for minimizing risk from cyber cyber criminals?
1: Um, well, if, let's so focus
0: on things to mention.
1: Well, let's focus on the home. Let's smoke this on the home. The uh, cybersecurity at the home, one of the advantages that businesses have is when, when, when they centralize uh, computing through server decks and uh, server stacks, they, they can easily manage those and they can put different sensitivities in things called domains. And a domain is not a scary word. It just means you point s- to some devices and say, we're going to call this domain UNT. We're going to call this domain IBM, whatever, whatever name you happen to pick. And they can do domain specific configuration of security. The problem that the home has is that the home has no domains. Basically, everything the refrigerator that's connected to the Wi Fi, uh, the, the Alexa device, the laptop, everything that's connected to the Wi Fi is kind of on the same domain, kind of home, and it's protected the same way, in many cases, unprotected. So, one of the big vulnerability points at home is the router that external connection to the outside uh, world. And this is a really bad time to have an unsecured router at home. One of the things as a best practice uh, to do is uh, change the default password. And there's two passwords on a router. One one is the one you use to connect to it, but the other one is the admin password. And keep in mind that an enormous number of routers out there, the the, the password is admin, is the word admin. Oh, and yeah. uh, and if, a, if a college professor knows that, I can assure you that an enormous number of people that are hackers around the world know that. And this is something that can be exploited. Uh, I've got a rule of thumb. If, you're, if your uh, router is more than five years old, uh, it needs to be replaced. Uh, that's your best shot at making it. I could take you, take you through all the steps of how you check to see to make sure you have WPA2, which is a form of encryption for the wireless signals going back and forth between your device and the router. Uh, there's even some WTA-3 devices out there now. Uh, but instead of all that, you know, what you put in the command line to see, I would just sure recommend if it's older than five years, uh, you know, if it's being rented, you need a new one. If it's, if it's been uh, bought, you need to purchase a new one. Um, focusing still on the server, on, on the router, which essentially is a home server, is uh, consider not broadcasting your SSID, the Service Set Identifier. You know, when you get your phone out and you're looking for a Wi-Fi signal, you can see all the SSIDs that are in your area, and they show the, the different, uh, uh, you know, basically Wi-Fi's that are available in your immediate area. Not broadcasting that creates a headache for a potential hacker that does it from the street or does it next door or whatever, uh, and not broadcasting that just just really, you know, it, it serves purposes that are, that are, that are really important. Uh, straying somewhat from the uh, router, I would say, make sure your operating system is is up-to-date, up-versioned, and security patched with all antivirus current. One of the things that happens when you, uh, you know, when you leave a, a supposedly a controlled business environment is individuals can, can start uh, pushing off operating system updates, and they can start pushing off security updates, and of course, the, the, the fact that you're pushing them into the future makes you more and more vulnerable, uh, uh, you know, to hackers that are looking for An in uh, to your home network. Um, The the only other thing I would add, and again, I only add it because it's starting to happen for the very first time uh, in the last two or three years, whatever, is more and more phones are being attacked. Uh, It used to be that we used to talk about computer security. Increasingly, what we're talking about is everything security. Because my question is, what in the world isn't connected to your Wi-Fi lately? I mean, your refrigerator, your Nest thermostat, your your phones, yeah. your medical devices, it, almost everything's connected. And anything that's connected to that router, if the router is compromised and if it has an admin, you know, a default password, or if in some way individuals are able to hop onto it and you don't know, uh, it creates a problem. Which, by the way, this is a really good time. I've been encouraging people. Uh, this is a really good time to change your router password because if somebody is piggybacking on your router, on your internet access, changing the password creates a headache for them.
0: That's, that's a great point. You really, you've really touched on some really hot topic items and I think a lot of things that people probably don't know about or thought about, not just in the workplace, but at home. So this is very insightful. I appreciate it. That's great. Do do you have any um, last minute thoughts, any other things you might want to mention to folks?
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, One of the things I want to stress is we, we need to rotate. We need to rotate from cybersecurity as IT's responsibility to the reality. And the reality is that cybersecurity is everyone's responsibility. Uh, there, there is no IT takes care of that. We all have to take care of that because if we make a mistake or if we fail to adhere to a policy or if we misapply a policy, uh, we expose everyone. This is, in many ways, it kind of mirrors a little bit in a dark way the COVID crisis, because if one of us uh, has an infected device, then we can, in theory, using VMware or using whatever, we can infect a device in the office, uh, in the server, and then it can infect others who connect to that server. So that's the key thing. The key thing is, that, again, we, we need to rotate from uh, a view that, you know, cybersecurity is IT's responsibility and recognizing the reality that, that everyone, every node, and I'm using the nerd word N-O-D-E, every connection <laughs> to the network is responsible for cybersecurity.
0: That's, that's a very good point. It should be really interesting to see how everyone evolves from this moving forward and, and how we all become more secure and more proficient in the future.
1: Yeah, it will, it's funny, because I'm, I'm, I'm working on a paper of what some of the things we are learning uh, are because I think there's there's definitely things that this is exposing that'll be valuable to know going forward.
0: Oh yeah, great.
1: Well, I would love to read that
0: paper when you're done. I'll give you a copy. <laughs> all right, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I I hope everyone really enjoyed hearing all of your insights and getting the valuable information that you had to share. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Blair, for this opportunity.